Hello, I'm Matt, and this is Ghostthropology. The show will feature ghost folklore, which includes both well-known stories and small personal encounters, all ultimately unverifiable, but all presented by people as true. I will tell you the story, after which I will discuss the elements of the story that I think are particularly interesting. While I don't know when, where, or how you were listening to this, I hope it's dark outside, as that is the best time for ghost stories. Episode 13, Jeff the Talking Mongoose, a.k.a. the Dolby Spook. This episode will be a bit different than most Ghostthropology episodes in a number of ways. One is that this story, while a mainstay of paranormal and supernatural folklore, is not creepy, frightening, or even particularly weird, despite how hard people try to make it so. The second is that, unlike most episodes, which are just me, tonight you'll also be hearing from one of my oldest friends, Dave Hasbrook. Hello. Hey, Dave. Hey. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Dave. I'm Dave. I am, I've been a friend of Matt since uh, since high school, yep. since my freshman year. Uh, I live in Emeryville, which is a suburb of San Francisco, and I am a puppeteer and performance artist. Dave is also the brains behind Shadow Circus Creature Theater, which if you have not seen it, what is wrong with you? Go find their <laughs> videos. They are not kid-friendly, but much like Dave... They look a bit dark and a bit grim, but are actually often incredibly sweet and typically quite funny. I I think we're sarcastically wholesome. (laughs) You know, that's actually a very good way to describe it. I don't think I'd let my eight-year-old watch them, but by the time she's 12, she'd probably really enjoy it. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to read off the summary I have for Jeff the Talking Mongoose, and then we can get into this. The story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose is not quite a ghost story, but also not quite something else. The subject is said to have claimed to be a variety of things, ranging from an extra clever mongoose from India to a spirit to something else strange but not completely defined. In the 90 years since the subject of today's episode first appeared, Others have claimed that Jeff was everything from a ghost to an alien to an emissary of an advanced race of people here to enlighten all of humanity. Not bad for a foul-mouthed fake mongoose. But in order to really discuss this story, first we have to start with the Irving family. The Irving family, James, Margaret, and their teenage daughter, Boyri, had moved from the mainland to the Isle of Man to run a farm as James' retirement project. They moved to a farmstead on a hill, a mile or so from their nearest neighbors, not far from the hamlet of Dalby. James, an educated man, had been a fairly successful salesman, but a much less successful farmer. The farm was becoming less productive over time, and only bringing in 15 shillings a week at one point. In 1931, something strange happened. The family began to hear odd noises. At first, it was barking, growling, and spitting noises, typical of an animal. James Irving decided to start imitating the other animal sounds and found that the strange creature, whatever it was, began to imitate them too. Then Boyery decided to start reading nursery rhymes out loud. 
and the creature, whatever it was, was soon able to repeat them back without trouble. By early 1932, the creature was speaking English fluently and could have conversations, often calling family members by their first names, when not just outright insulting them. Famed ghost hunter Harry Price asked a friend, someone given the pseudonym Captain MacDonald in Price's publications, to visit the house. He did so for five hours, never hearing any unusual sounds. But as he was leaving, he heard a voice scream, Go away! Who is that man? Before it deteriorated into illegible squeals. The next day, MacDonald returned, was shown a hole in the wall from which water was pouring, which he was told was the creature urinating, or, to use a early 20th century British euphemism, having its natural functions. But nothing else happened until later in the evening, when Voiry and her mother went upstairs, and MacDonald soon heard a shrill voice speaking to Margaret. MacDonald tried to coax the creature into showing itself, only to be told off by it, and when he tried to climb the stairs and burst into the room where Margaret and Voiry were talking, he fell and heard a voice shout, He's coming! The voice was not heard again that night. Ten days later, a friend of James Irving, who is typically referred to as Charles Northwood, again, not his real name, came to visit, and learned that the family had named this creature Jeff, and that Jeff had told them that he was a mongoose born in Delhi, India, in 1852. The creature spoke to Northwood, but became agitated when he heard that Northwood's son would be coming to visit. The unseen but talkative mongoose said that he disliked the son because the son didn't believe in Jeff, and that if he did stay there, Jeff would kill him with a through-penny cartridge, which I assume is a reference to a type of firearm ammunition, though I haven't been able to quite figure that out for sure. Later that evening, Jeff settled down and began talking to Mr. Irving about mundane tasks of running the farm in the house, reminding him to buy a rooster and mail a letter. After a bit, though, Northwood heard the sound of a voice, which he described as being like two irascible women's voices put together, coming from a wall, which castigated the man for being a non-believer, and he had to show that he did believe to get the voices to stop. He left the house and reported hearing a strange squealing sound pursuing him on his way home. A few days later, Northwood returned with his sister-in-law and niece. Jeff spoke, but most of what he said, especially regarding the niece, was minor things that Voiry was confirmed to have already known. For three years, Jeff wasn't heard from by many people outside of the Irvings, though the Irvings reported that he had become more entertaining and active. During this time, the family claimed that Jeff began killing rabbits to help stretch the family's feed budget. Jeff later began to bring other useful items to the house, a paintbrush, a pair of pincers, and the like. He also took up residence in a wooden box-like structure in Voiry's room, which came to be known as Jeff's Sanctum, where he would bounce a rubber ball in time with gramophone records and push a lightweight chair around on top of it for exercise. In return for the help he provided, Jeff demanded to be fed biscuits, that's cookies for us uncultured yanks, chocolate, bananas, and other choice foods. All of this would be placed on a beam where he could get it when he wanted, and when nobody was looking. Jeff, you see, was shy and disliked being seen. Jeff would occasionally still be heard by visitors, though not often, and he was given to insults. On one occasion, when a visitor stated that she would be flying to South Africa, Jeff was heard to yell, Tell her that I hope the propeller falls off. He would also make weird, semi-threatening statements such as, I could kill you, but I won't. He also occasionally allowed the family to handle him, and even posed for some photos taken by Bori, though they were blurry and indistinct. Though Jeff had claimed to be a clever mongoose, he also at different times claimed to be an earthbound spirit, 
a ghost in the shape of a weasel. Then he later explained that he wasn't a spirit. And then he claimed to be a freak of nature who would split the atom. And so on. Jeff was nothing if not inconsistent. In 1935, after hearing much about Jeff, famed ghost investigator Harry Price paid a visit to the home. He had sent some samples of hair that were said to come from Jeff to a zoologist, F. Martin Duncan, who identified them as coming from a sheepdog. Price set out to investigate further, along with R.S. Lambert, the editor of BBC's Listener magazine, and while they concluded that the Irvings were not trying to fool anybody, they also could not determine what Jeff really was. And after that, Jeff faded out of the popular consciousness, the Irving family moved away, and Jeff became little more than a historical oddity, and, oddly, the bastion of paranormal folklore. In 1937, famed medium Florence Hodgson's said that, living on Earth but undiscovered, there was a race of people, highly developed, cultured, and so advanced that their animals have attained speech. Hawkins further claimed that Jeff was an emissary of these people, and that the time of their revelation was at hand. But more than eight decades later, they still haven't appeared. More's the pity. So that's the story of Jeff. Yes. I think before we get into any real detail, it's worth discussing um, how we both kind of came to the story and how it got stuck into our imagination. So I'll let you go first. I mean, I remember hearing about it so young that I don't really remember where I originally stumbled upon it. Definitely when I was probably about the age of Voyery, when I was like 12, 13, I was really, really into reading about like paranormal things. I was really into UFOs. I was really into ghost stories. I actually remember that's one of the ways we bonded as teenagers was talking about those things. I think so. Yeah. And I remember when I first started at, at Davis, when I was like 14, I printed out on like papers like have you seen one of these with like a ufo on it i remember I, seeing those all over campus and i slid it into the little the, the sort of glass-based bulletin board things and one of them was still there like i went back and looked like 10 years later and it was like still there all like yellowed and i'm kind of surprised you know in the late 80s early 90s we were so cavalier about giving out our phone numbers i don't know why i didn't get like a bunch of prank stuff like calls and stuff after putting those up but yeah nobody ever nobody ever called but uh why did jeff grab your attention i mean i think especially as a kid and i think this is why this is what was appealing you know for voyery as well at the time was it was you know it was a paranormal story that's that's kind of weirdly wholesome and kid friendly uh it's he was basically like an imaginary friend you know, I mean, who wouldn't want a talking, wisecracking animal that steals stuff for you? Warner Brothers based an entire media empire on that. It, it was. Actually, I made some kind of like points about that to kind of discuss later. But yeah, it's very, yeah, it's like a, a wisecracking animal that hangs out in your house. Ask for things that specifically and ironically you would like. Give me cookies and a camera and all this other stuff that were also just things that Voyery just happened to happen to want and happen to like. I mean, yeah. I mean, what's not appealing about it? I know for myself, when I was a kid, my mother got into a lot of uh, kind of paranormal stuff. And she was never heavy into it, but you know, she read the Seth books, for example, which were, you know, allegedly dictated by a spirit that uh, would possess a medium and she would write what the spirit told her. Mm -hmm. She 
watched a lot of the various UFO and New Age documentaries. My parents both loved the show In Search Of, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, people in their 40s and older probably remember. Oh, yeah. And my mother would occasionally get us these books. They weren't the Time Life Mysteries of the Unknown books. Those were mm-hmm. just too expensive, and we didn't have that much money when we were kids. But, you know, if she found things along those lines in the supermarket checkout line or in a bin of remaindered books or what have you, she'd get them. And one of them is a book I still have, actually. I should have brought it in here, uh, called Open Files. And it's a whole bunch of different uh, allegedly paranormal things. Mm -hmm. And they had several chapters on Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I remember reading those at the time, and it's been interesting to me as I got more and more interested uh, as an adult in looking at the folklore of supernatural things that so many people have this strong memory of being really attracted to Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Because when I read them, I just thought, well, this is pretty clearly this kid playing a joke that just kind of got carried on. And I I just didn't understand why people would would get attached to it. But I think that what you've just said makes a lot of sense. I think for a lot of young people, it's an imaginary friend story that you can kind of pretend is true. You know, what if you could have an imaginary friend who became real? I mean, you say what if, but I mean, he's definitely real. No, no, it's pretty, pretty clearly a joke. No, no, well, no, no, Matt. Jeff is real, and I'm absolutely going to prove it. Okay, hold on. Oh, oh I got to I gotta hear this. Okay, okay. Right. No, 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 we can, we can get him on the show. He promised that he would come on the show as long as I gave him cookies. So hang on a sec. Let me, hold on. I can okay, do so it. listeners, listeners. All right. I have Dave on a video call. He is pulling out cookies. This is happening. Jeff! <laughs> I got cookie. I got biscuits. Come on. Oh, yeah, he's British. Well, he's well, he's from India originally, apparently. Well, that's true. Yeah. He's a mongoose of the world. Come on. Don't make me look like a jackass here. All right, you got those cookies for me. Jeff! Hey, it's Jeff! All right, what, what, do, you, what do you got for me there? No, I got, I got, look. These are good. These are good. I got Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout cookies, you... You got some Tagalogs for me? I mean, they were, they were on a Tagalogs. Well, well, what do you got? You got dosi dos. You got. I, I'm sorry, Jeff. The, the only thing they had left was trefoils. Excuse me. Trefoils, you know the basic. No, 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 no. No, I heard you. I just don't believe this crap. I am the eighth wonder of the goddamn world. You got me trefoils. Jeff, don't go. Come on, Jeff. Look, do you want do you want the cookies or not? Yeah, right. You got any milk to go with these? I, I got some almond milk. You're the worst. All right, so so see, look, Jeff's right here. You got you got any questions for Jeff? These are terrible, just so you know. You got the worst cookies. So Jeff. Yeah. Is it true that you split the atom? I could. I could do it right now. I I could do it right now in front of you. Were you at White Sands, New Mexico in 1945? You can't prove nothing. Nothing. I am I am a, a mongoose of the world. I've been to a lot of places, but uh, you're not pinning that on me. What dirt do you have on Richard Feynman? Oh, so much. But, you know, I'm going to need better cookies if you want me to spill the beans on that one. 
Well, I, I'll tell you what. You you come to Fresno, I'll get you. I'll get you some better cookies. What do you got? Oh, I I can run down to Hungry Bear Cookie Company. Can you? I get you fresh baked cookies. All right. Yeah, it's right down the street. Oh, I'm gonna hold you to that. This is happening. This is happening. So you came from from India, right? I came from Delhi. You mean Delhi? Delhi, Delhi. Yeah, who would pronounce it Delhi? That's weird. But I mean, so why did you speak for the first time? You know, then, like, do you know any like Hindi words, or do you, you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I could speak for forever. Just nobody asked me to. Uh, yeah, um, uh, vindaloo, tandoori, tikka masala. Jeff, are you reading off a menu? Oh, 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 oh we're so jaded now. We're so how how soon you get over the fact that I can like that I can like talk. Ooh, I want words that aren't right off a menu. You take uh Ricky Tiki Tavi, take him to an Indian restaurant, say, what do you want to eat? Do you think he's gonna say, oh, sad paneer, but keep it mild because I got the acid reflux? No, he's gonna say squeak, squeak, chatter, chatter, because he's basic. But ooh, I want words that aren't on a menu. So demanding. Why am I even here? I could kill you. I could kill your poultry. You got poultry? I could kill them with my minds. Well, Jeff, co- contrary to what most people think of Fresno, I do not keep poultry in my living room. You got geese? I'll kill your geese. The park nearby has geese that uh, like to torment well, people. You, don't, you want to go kill them? If you them. don't watch it, I'm going to... If you if you don't watch it, if you rile me up, I'll kill the, the pot geese. I'll do it. So do we have any more questions for Jeff? I have no more. Well, thanks for coming in, Jeff. Yeah, whatever. Thanks for nothing for these garbage cookies. I'm out of here. Vanish! So there you go. So I think we've proven. I think I proved to you. I think I proved to the audience that Jeff exists because we both talked to him, right? I, I think, Dave, you've proven that you can do voices. No, 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 no. My voice does not sound anything like that. And besides, I said it was Jeff. And I'm an honest person, so that, that means it's evidence. That means it's true, right? Well, that is the Voiry defense. That is the Voiry defense. And, and it's funny, like, going into it, so much of when people came over and experience, experienced Jeff talking to them, so much of it was Voiry going like, okay, let me go up to my room and see if I can get him to come down. And, like, Voiry talking to, quote-unquote, another voice, arguing back and forth, and then her coming back into the room and saying, like, well, you heard him, guys. He, he doesn't want to come out. But, I mean, you totally heard his voice, right? Ta-da! Eighth wonder of the world. You're welcome. Like, that was most people's experience of Jeff. Yeah, and it, it was interesting reading up on this because... So, uh, for the listener, something that's important about this house, it's an old house, a stone house, that had internal walls that had been built up over time in different ways. So, they had hollow walls with panels that people could probably fit in. And I, I, I give the probably because the different readings I've had give slightly different uh, expressions of that, but they definitely were things that things could get in. But also, if you spoke into like a heating duct in one room, it would come out another room yeah. pretty easily. Yeah, because a lot of the, vo- the, the descriptions of it really did say that the voice was kind of tinny, that it had like this sort of like quality that like absolutely sounds like somebody just like talking through a pipe. Well, and in this uh, particular case, I think two of the things that uh, really stand out were, you know, Voiry and Margaret go into a room upstairs and then 
the visitor who'd come to investigate Jeff suddenly starts hearing Margaret talking to the voice of Jeff. And then when he runs upstairs to try to catch Jeff in the act, he stumbles and Jeff makes a loud announcement and runs away. Gee, not suspicious at all. And then you have other visitor who described having Jeff shout at him and said it sounded like the voices of two irascible women shortly after Voiry and her mother went off into another part of the house. Gee, why could it have sounded like the voices of two irascible women? Right, and then there was one, uh, because when Price came, I believe, and, like, didn't didn't hear anything, so he ran around asking other people sort of in the area. And there was one, Jay Radcliffe from the local paper, who flat out called them on it, who flat out was like, um, yeah, that came from Voiry. And they were like, no, 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 no. It was from the bushes. It was from the, no, it, it's from two feet away from me. It's straight up from, from Voiry. Like, was not buying it at all. You know, and early on, part of what I do with, with puppetry is, uh, you know, and I've had to do it a lot more now since I have to work solo without my other puppeteers, is the last several years I've been doing ventriloquism. And my thought upon reading the story initially was that this was absolutely mostly going to be probably Voiry doing ventriloquism. Uh, but when I read more and more about what people were encountering, it almost doesn't need to be that complicated because she was very rarely in the room when the voice happened. It would usually be like, okay, I'm going to go feed the horses now. I'm leaving the house. And then a couple minutes later, the voice would come from the wall. And then like right after like, okay, I'm back. Oh, was he here? Did I miss him? But then when it is in the room, the quality of Jeff's expression drops significantly. When Voiry's in the room, suddenly it's just squeaks, uh, squeaks or shrill shrieks. Or if he is talking, the family has to translate it because it doesn't, it's not really decipherable. The, the, the level of what is communicated when Voiry's in the room drops significantly. And I still think there was some ventriloquism involved in that, but it, it wouldn't necessarily need to be expert ventriloquism to do. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was also pretty interesting was, you know, there's this um, idea that you hit on. It doesn't have to be ventriloquism. That's actually way more complicated for a lot of what was going on than was necessary. But a lot of the investigations around this focused on ventriloquism. And you had made the observation that their reasons for discounting ventriloquism were odd. It's, they weren't discounting ventriloquism because it wasn't necessary but for a much stupider reason. There was two reasons. One of them like just doesn't apply. The main thing that I read from was the original investigations by Price and everything. And then the, the, the book was bookended by uh, a writer who was writing parts in 2019. And the one that was speculating on stuff in 2019 said it couldn't be ventriloquism because there's no such thing as throwing your voice. It's all about misdirection. And she didn't have a doll, so there was nowhere to misdirect from, which is not true. They were always pointing towards cracks and edges and stuff like that. But the one that I think was far, far dumber was the one that Price in his writings had said, which is that basically like, oh, well, women have a hard time doing ventriloquism. W women can't really do ventriloquism. They would have had to study for years, which is absolutely, there was absolutely no reason to think that women can't do ventriloquism. That's such a bizarre claim to make. In fact, one of the most famous ventriloquists, and in my opinion, the best, is Nina Conti, 
but yeah, it, it was just kind of this weird, like 1930s sexism of, oh, well, a, a young woman couldn't do that and they couldn't fool us. Like, so we're not even going to consider that. Instead, it's far more likely that it's a magical talking mongoose. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a friend of mine who years back was, um, he was sitting with somebody who claimed to have psychic powers and they were doing this card guessing thing and he couldn't figure out how they were doing it. Mm. And so he came to the conclusion that if he couldn't figure it out, that meant there wasn't a trick. There was genuinely something going on. And he and I had a conversation about it a few days later. And I said, well, I mean, you know, here's some techniques that I know of where you can do that. He's like, no, no, it couldn't have been any of those. I would have noticed that. And it was very much this, if I can't notice the trick, then there can't be a trick. It must be really happening. And I got the impression as I was reading on this that there was a lot of classism involved. You know, Harry Price, whatever else you may say about him, he was, by this point in his life, a fairly wealthy man. If I recall correctly, I believe he actually became fairly wealthy through marriage as opposed to uh, Mm -hmm. through his actual, the class he was born into or his own efforts. But regardless, he did seem to buy into the idea that, well, I'm this upper class person, therefore I am superior. And so the idea that somebody could do something that he couldn't easily figure out just seemed to be repugnant to him. Even in the the more current writing, but particularly back then, so much is sort of wrapped up in this idea of like, but they would have to be really good actors, but they're convincing. And because they're convincing, it can't be a lie. Like this idea of, well, it's just impossible that I could be taken into this. So that means it must be true. Which is the principle that con artists work on. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas reading it kind of divorced from that, you know, I have a hard time even describing it as a hoax because I feel like hoaxes take more setup. Yeah. <laughs> this is just more like like a joke that for some reason folks are, are falling for. Yeah, and it seemed that not very many people did fall for it. You mentioned no. the, the writer from the local paper earlier who clearly didn't. There is a minor scandal that resulted in a lawsuit with the BBC because R.S. Lambert, who worked for the BBC, had uh, published some material on this and people essentially said, well, he believes in this ridiculous thing and that went to court. Yeah. Which, by the way, that court case is what inspired the comment from the medium Hodgkins who claimed that uh, Jeff was the emissary of this advanced race of people. <laughs> yeah, the story is... It's bizarre, not because of the phenomenon that's claimed to have happened, but because of all the nonsense surrounding it. Yeah, like the person that wrote the the book I had, Tim Schwartz, you know, when he's writing about, he's like, you know, we we have to keep open-minded and really analyze all the different possible explanations about what this Jeff thing could be. And he was so very quickly like, well, she didn't have a doll, so it's not ventriloquism. But maybe... Maybe is an artificial intelligence made by pan-dimensional beings that broke out of like some intergalactic jail. Maybe we can't roll it out. <laughs> With most of the uh, ghost stories that I feature on the show, the folklore of the time that the ghost story became prominent is, I think, worth examining and worth interesting. I spent some time trying to find any evidence of folklore regarding this particular story that would have tied into it at the time. And I didn't find much at all, Mm -hmm. Um, which leads me to agree with you that it's 
again, I think you put it very well. It's not even a hoax. It's a joke that people kept falling for. And so the Irving family just kept doing because, hey, why not? Yeah. So what I think is actually interesting is not so much the story of Jeff itself, but rather the way that it's sort of gotten built up in a lot of uh, paranormal circles into something that it never was during the time that Jeff was active. And you see people tying themselves in weird knots to yeah. try to claim it's a mystery when it really isn't. What you just cited there, that author, is I think like one of the best examples of that, where it can't be a teenage girl who's just having fun. It's got to be pan-dimensional beings. And I want to kind of cycle on back to something that we, we touched on very, very, very briefly in the beginning, which was something that I, occurred to me earlier today, and I looked up the time frame, and I, I think there is something culturally that was going on at that time uh, that would have specifically appealed to somebody of Voiri's age, which is that we were also seeing within just a few years before the rise of animation becoming a major piece of pop culture. Oh. And so like in the late 20s, like around 28, just a few years before this, about the time when it would have appealed to Voiri because she would have been a kiddo, we're seeing things like, you know, Oswald the Bunny, Felix the Cat, the beginning of Mickey Mouse, who was in like 1928, Bosco the Rabbit, all of these like anthropomorphized animals with people hands, which which Jeff had people hands, supposedly. There, there is, in fact, even a photo of uh, Voiri's father pointing to a uh, crevice in the wall that allegedly Jeff's hands are coming out of, and yeah. it looks like human hands. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these anthropomorphized animals that can, like, talk and sing, and sing songs, because Jeff sang songs and he put on the record player, that would, like, steal food and play pranks, and it was very much like something that was in the psyche of kids specifically. Mm -hmm. And there were always talking animals and stuff in folklore and nursery rhymes and stuff like that. But there's very, very specific, like he plays pranks and sings songs and he's got hands and fingers and is kind of like a person, but kind of like an animal was this very new sort of like Warner's Brothers animation thing that was just coming into its own right then. And it was very, very, very Jeff. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a really good point that you do... Well, yeah, the talking animal trope has been a part of fiction and mythology. I don't know of a single hunter-gatherer society that doesn't have talking animal stories. Yeah. Talking animal stories show up in Greek and Indian and Roman mythology. Mm -hmm. uh, they show up in Norse mythology. So it's always there. Mm -hmm. You're right. It would have been made into a very definite pop culture phenomenon by the rise of animation yeah. in the 1920s. Mm. One of the things that, you know, I found myself thinking about as I was reading this is I think that part of why this particular story probably appealed to a lot of people who are interested in paranormal stuff is it does have some similarities to other stories. Mm -hmm. Those similarities, those are, they're very superficial, yeah. but they are there, and I think that that causes some folks to want to hammer these together. Two examples that really were obvious to me were similarities to the Fox sisters, who were some of the early celebrities of the religion of spiritualism. Mm -hmm. And for uh, listeners who don't know, the Fox sisters were a couple of sisters from the U.S. who in, if I recall correctly, I think it was the 1840s, though I'd have to look that up, they began communicating with something in their home that was knocking. 
and they eventually worked out a way to communicate with it, and they claimed it was various different spirits at different times. But they began to use the knocking as a code to be able to communicate with it, which led to changes in the way that seances were carried out, and popularized a lot of ideas that had sort of gestated in early spiritualism and broke out into the mainstream as the Fox sisters became actually pretty major media attractions. They would go to different towns, give presentations. A Fox sister seance was a pretty big stage show. But it started with a couple of young girls communicating with knockings in their room, which later in life, one of the sisters even demonstrated how they did it and admitted it was a hoax. Of course, that didn't stop people believing in it. By popping their toes, which as a kid, when I read that, I was like, that's gross. Yeah. That's kind of creepier than real ghosts, like popping your toes. like. Yeah. Well, they had that. They had a thing where they would suspend objects on a string and then sort of move the string when nobody was watching their fingers. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. So the idea that you've got this creature that nobody ever sees, but that seems to be communicating through the walls, it definitely echoes the Fox sisters. But unlike the Fox sisters, Jeff was always goofy, and the family always treated it in a very goofy fashion. The other one that's uh, in some way similar is the Bell Witch, where you have this disembodied voice that seems to be attached to younger members of the family, and is often speaking and saying, by turns, it can be very charming and friendly or very hostile. And Jeff certainly, you know, was the same way. Jeff, on the other hand, again, was just, he was like the Bell Witch as filtered through Monty Python. And it was just kind of silly. Yeah, even his threats were so over the top that it kind of passes around in a silly again. Yeah, and I think part of the reason why this may have gotten a foothold in paranormal circles is that it does bear some superficial similarities to these other events that were major parts of paranormal and ghost folklore. But again, I'm just really amazed that the story has managed to hold any currency. That book I mentioned earlier that I have, The Open Files, when I was reading through it, the author clearly had been ordered to try to make things sound mysterious, but he was trying to help you out. Right, right. He kept saying things like, Yes, but Jeff didn't say anything that Voyery didn't already know. And Jeff's favorite foods were Voyery's favorite foods. And, huh, after Voyery and her mother left, Jeff started speaking with the voice of two women. Yeah. You know, the the writer's trying to help you out here. (laughs) But he can't flat out say what's going on. (laughs) And it's kind of weird to see how some of them will really bend over backwards you know because they're describing of other and, and bell which was another case like that that they were talking about where they would sometimes come up with explanations of like well we think that maybe yes it's using the girls like vocal cords but that's because like this spirit draws its energy from the girl to like you know and uses just sort of a transmitter to get the like anything to kind of like get around the very obvious thing that it was, yes, it is this child, is this child doing it with their voice. Mm-hmm. Like they'll pile on extra levels of, of complication to the point that I think that I don't think that there is any degree of evidence that would ever get them to kind of accept that it wasn't real. I think they would just kind of integrate it into a more complicated version. of their own kind of explanation. You can see the same dynamic play out in places where it has a lot more consequence. You know, the idea that you've got the spirit of a talking mongoose is just kind of a silly idea. And it plays as very silly here. But 
because there are people who are very steeped in kind of supernatural thought, there's an entire, not one worldview, but a set of worldviews built around paranormal ideals. For somebody who's steeped in that, the idea of a talking mongoose spirit, it's not that far of a leap. And people don't get into that place instantly, but over time, you know, they surround themselves with people who buy into similar beliefs and you have things build on top of each other. You have the cycle by which something as silly as this can start to seem like the real deal simply because you've been exposed to things that are in many ways more absurd, but treated in a more serious fashion. And I think we see the same thing happen in other areas where folklore develops over time. You build an extra layer on, an extra layer on, an extra layer on, and you can get pretty far out there without realizing you've ever moved. One of the things that I see with uh, the Jeff story is that you have people who probably start with just a general interest in ghosts or UFOs or what have you. But over time, if they start reading only things that confirm or that support the belief that all of these things are clearly part of some supernatural um, force at work in the world, and they start weeding out any dissenting opinions, eventually you get to where, you know, you hear about this talking mongoose, and the idea that it could be a 16-year-old or 13-year-old girl having fun seems much less likely than the idea that it's a extra-dimensional being. Right. I think that, that dynamics at work for all of us. All of us are at danger of falling into a line of thought where we can believe something absurd simply because we eliminate people and sources that might counterbalance some of what we're hearing. Right. Right, right. You know, it's almost like a, a form of sunk cost fallacy where, like, you've already ab- absorbed and accepted so much... That if you draw a line at a certain point and say, like, well, if I start questioning this because it's too out there, does that make other things start to fall apart? So instead, I'm going to, like, find ways to still accept this weirder thing. Mm-hmm. Because so much of this stuff, like, you know, the space prison or somebody else that said, like, oh, it was a, a piece of the father's grief that separated out from his psyche, became self-aware and turned into Jeff. Like all these bizarre things, they're in no way insinuated by the original story, which is very, very basic, very, very childlike. Mm -hmm. It really is just imaginary friend. It reminds me in some ways of uh, some of the religious fundamentalists I've known, you know, from a variety of religions over the years, where they're worried that if they allow themselves to ask a question about one aspect of their religious belief, then everything else goes away. Which, I mean, the fact that there's non-fundamentalist religious people indicates that that's not the case at all. But yeah, like when you look at what a lot of fundamentalists, like if you take literally like literally the Garden of Eden or Jonah the Whale and Noah's Ark, if you take them literally, like they seem like pretty preposterous stories and they are, they're not plausible as reality. But the idea that if that stuff's not true, maybe the basis of everything else they that they believe in may not be true as well kind of terrifies them. So they have to double down on like, yes, all of these stories are not metaphorical. They are literally true. And how dare you say otherwise? And I think, you know, it's the same with QAnon and it's the same with the folks that really hardcore believe in in Jeff. Like, I'm sure even a lot of ghost believers, just like there's Christians that are non-fundamentalists, I'm sure there are other paranormal believers that do not think Jeff is true. Well, and I think there's a, uh, 
a worry about feeling foolish. Right. It's not strictly religious, although it can be religious. It's not left wing or right wing. It's, you know, although some of the beliefs are politically aligned, you know, in either direction. I mean, I lived in Santa Cruz for years. I know lots of wacky left wing people. Sure. I live in Fresno now. I know plenty of wacky right wing people. Right. But you get people who kind of build up this edifice of belief. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people, and this is probably especially true with uh, certain forms of religious belief, if you claim that all morality is based on this, then to admit that maybe part of it is wrong, you worry may you know, cause you to collapse into an immoral person. But I think that uh, probably a more powerful thing that is at work in a lot of people's psyche is if I admit that this thing I believe may not be true, well, now I look like an idiot for having got along with it for so long. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. To some degree, I think most people are like that. Oh, yeah. I've I've done that. That's why I try to accept that I'm an idiot and that I don't know what's happening most of the time. But yeah, I think to to a a strong degree, people are... uh, are kind of afraid to to admit that what they previously believed was erroneous. I mean, it does not always go to the level of believing in a talking mongoose, but I think most people have some degree of that in, in their lives, and it's it's a matter of how much we're able to keep a check on it. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's what's interesting to me about Jeff the Talking Mongoose, because I, I do try to bring everything back around to folklore and how it functions. The story of Jeff the Talking Mongoose is in of itself not particularly interesting, but the story of why people keep pushing it as if it were true, I think tells us some really fascinating things about how people, you know, think about the world and structure their beliefs. Even Voiry, to her end days. Never admitted it was not real. Yep. Although I gotta, gotta wonder, was that because she was still having a laugh at everybody? Yeah, or did she think that people would be mad or, yeah, I mean, we'll probably never know the, the true motivations. Going into this, again, I was reminded of why this story didn't grab me as a kid. But going into it as an adult, mm-hmm. I've got to say, it's it's delightful just seeing how Absolutely they were making different. people like Harry Price run around in circles. There is there is nothing about Jeff that is not nonsense. That's why when you ask me, like, oh, are there any ghost stories that you want? Of course it's the one that is complete <laughs> nonsense. That is the one that appeals to me. Jeff! He's behind the couch. Hang on. Jeff! What? 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 Can you just read some of these? Fine, fine, fine. Um, ahem. All right. Uh, what do we got here? I was brought to England from Egypt by a man named Holland. When I was in India, I lived with a tall man who wore a green turban on his head. Then I lived with a deformed man, a hunchback. Really? You didn't tell me about that. Why did you leave the hunchback? Well, he was a terrible roommate. He drank all my milk. He, he left a mess. I like, like the mess on my floor right here. Right, what, what other quotes you got? Um, da, 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 da. I am a ghost in the form of a weasel. And I shall haunt you with weird noises and clanking chains. Um, da, 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 ba, da, da. You'll put me in a bottle if you catch me. Speaking of putting me in a bottle, uh, since you are... Uh, Screwed up on the cookies. I'm going to take this vodka, okay? Well, okay, go have fun. All right, he went behind the couch with the vodka again. I think that's all we're getting out of him. That would be that. Uh, thank you for being on the uh, this episode of Ghost Apology, Dave. All right, thanks for having me. I had a good time. 
so that people know if they enjoyed uh, hearing Jeff, uh, you've got an entire cast of characters at Shadow Circus Creature Theater. Where can people find you? I do. Yeah, so Shadow Circus Creature Theater is my puppetry troupe. We have a website, shadowcircus.com. I am terrible at updating it. I am absolutely terrible at updating it. So your best bet is to look me up on, it's under Shadow Circus Puppets on Facebook. I am a lot, lot better at, at updating my Facebook than my regular website. So facebook.com forward slash Shadow Circus Puppets. And you do online shows currently. Yeah, I do them on a semi-regular basis. Um, but yeah, every once in a while I uh, do live bits in other people's streaming shows, or I do uh, streaming of a puppet-hosted variety shows of my own. And uh, listeners, so that you know, um, I've watched a few of these shows. Uh, Dave's not misdescribing it when he says that they are variety shows. He has some really fantastic musicians as well as other performers take part. And you get to see his puppetry work as well as the work of a number of other performing artists. They're really quite enjoyable. Yeah. So I recommend you check them out. And you've also been uploading a whole lot of stuff to TikTok lately, I've noticed. I resisted TikTok for, for a while because it's it's kind of hard for me to think of stuff that's only like 10 seconds long. But yeah, it's a new thing I'm, I'm trying out. Creature theater. So and a, a, and I spell theater with the, you know... The European spelling of theater, T-R-E instead of T-E-R. So yeah, if you want to follow me on the TikTok, I am Creature Theater, and also on the Instagram. So my recommendation, uh, listeners, is that if you have the opportunity, get yourself a uh, glass of milk and a plate of biscuits, (laughs) and then watch Shadow Circus Creature Theater. But not Trefoils. Not Trefoils. (laughs) Get some good ones. Yeah, get some good ones. Yeah. You'll have a good time. Thank you for joining me. If you have heard a weird tale, have had a strange experience of your own, or know of a bit of local lore that should get a wider audience, please feel free to contact me at ghostthropology at gmail.com. That's G-H-O-S-T-H-R-O-P-O-L-O-G-Y at gmail.com. Also, Please visit the Ghostthropology blog for transcripts, show notes, and more information at kmmamedia.com. That's kmmamedia.com. Until next time, have a wonderfully spooky night. Spooky!